0: Caused the blind to see. And then I cried, Dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. I then obeyed his blessed command and gained the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him and all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about a mansion. He has built for me in glory. And I heard about the street of gold beyond the crystal sea, about the angels singing and the old redemption story. And some sweet day I'll sing out there the song of victory. Oh, victory in Jesus! I say.
1: scripture reading this morning will be from acts chapter 2 if you'd like to follow along acts chapter 2 verses 45 and 40 i'm sorry 44 and 45 all who believed were together and held everything in common and they began selling their property and possessions and distributing the proceeds to everyone as anyone had need let's pray Dear lord we thank you for this day you've given to us we thank you for the opportunity we have to come and worship you today lord Lord, we pray that our worship will be done in truth and in spirit it will be uplifting to those who are here and will be pleasing in your sight lord we pray that you will be with those who are sick and unable to be here today be with those who are caring for the sick Lord. we pray that you'll be with those who are hurting be with those who have lost loved ones be with those who are anxious lord we pray that you will Help them to put their trust in you. And we pray that you will always take care of us, Lord. And we pray that we will have the faith to know that you will always take care of us. Lord, again, we ask that you be with us as we continue through our worship. Watch over us. Forgive us when we fall short of your will. And it's through Jesus we do pray. Amen. Number
0: 217, he loves me. 217 <clears throat> why
2: start by reading from John chapter 13 verses 21 through 27. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was a leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then, leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him, and Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. The scene of the last Passover is an interesting one. Perhaps the most important thing is that this was the last time that the Old Testament feast would ever be observed. The New Testament would bring a new meal. This also the last time that Christ would have all 12 apostles together. Jesus had taught the 12 an important lesson by washing their feet. Wonder what was going through the mind of Judas as his feet was being washed by the one that he was about to betray. We know that what Jesus was thinking, he was troubled in spirit, and said that one of you will betray me. The disciples were stunned. The reaction, who could it be? Surely not I. Peter couldn't stand it, so he, asked, so he has John ask, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered him, it is he whom I shall give the piece of bread after I dip it. Can you imagine being there, hearing this? I think we've all been sitting there watching who got the bread, thinking, please, don't pass that bread to me. I don't want that kind of bread passed to Judas, the bread of betrayal. Now, as we come to the table of our Lord where the bread and cup are offered, the bread on this table is the body of Christ that was given for us, and the cup represents the blood of Christ that was shed for us. That's the bread we should want. That's the cup that we should want. We need that bread. We need that cup. Would you bow with me as a gift, Thanks for this bread. Father in heaven, we're thankful for this day, Father, and we're thankful for this opportunity we have to partake of this feast. Father, we pray that we would partake of the bread, which represents the body that Christ suffered, gave for us, Father. Be with us as we partake of it, we do it so in a worthy manner. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. give thanks for the fruit of the vine. Father in heaven, we're thankful for this opportunity to partake of this fruit of the vine, which represents the blood that Christ shed on the cross for us. Father, we pray that we will keep these things in mind as we partake of this. Father, thank you for everything you do for us. Through his name we pray. Amen. concludes the Lord's Supper, uh, but this time we uh, also have the offering. Um, We have two yellow buckets in the back there that you can put your offering in um, at your leisure, Uh, but I'd like to uh, pray for the blessing on the offering. Father in heaven, we're thankful for this day, Father, and we're thankful for this country that we've been blessed to live in. Father, we pray that you would be with our leaders of our country. Father, be with us as we As we give money back to this church, Father, we truly live in one of the most blessed nations in the world. Be with this offering, Father, that the elders will use it for the intended cause. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
0: Please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 595. 595. We'll sing the first, second, and fourth verse. And the song name is Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. Stand up, stand up. Seventy-seven. title of that song is Whosoever Heareth, 777.
3: Good morning. Nice rainy day, isn't it? All right, be turning in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We are talking about some habits from the early church that will be helpful for us as well. Uh, This was an incredibly successful congregation that was pleasing to the Lord. And we know that because the apostles are uh, living during this time period, and if they were not pleasing to the Lord, uh, Peter and James and John and the rest of the apostles would have let them know. And so these are some things that the apostles, and thus the Lord, thought would be helpful for the early church and for any congregation of the Lord's people. Uh, And so we are looking at some rhythms or some habits. There's four of them that I think are Uh, Incredibly important that we're going to study throughout this series. So four habits, four rhythms of the early church. And these things are found in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Last week we talked a little bit about the very first one of these habits. Um, They had dedicated themselves to the apostles' doctrine and exactly what that meant. Um, So that's not necessarily, it's not the gospel that is something uh, different than the gospel, this devotion to the apostles' teaching, is how the gospel works out in your life. And so how does it changed you? How has it transformed your mind? What do you think about your work? What do you think about this virus? What do you think about kindness? What do you think about anger? What do you think about fill-in-the-blank? Every situation possible in your life, how has the gospel informed that decision? And that's one of the things that was very important for the early church and Obviously, for us to think through as well today, how has the gospel informed every aspect of our life? Because it does. It filters down into every tidbit, every, every small bit of our lives. The, the gospel ought to filter down into it. There shouldn't be anything that's left in the corner alone, uh, untouched about the gospel. And so that's what we talked about last week. This week, uh, we're talking about the next one of these uh, habits of the early church, uh, and that is they dedicated themselves to fellowship. So what is fellowship? Well, for us, we have a fellowship hall, right? So fellowship for us means fried chicken, right? But biblically, fellowship is much, much more than just eating together. It's something that, that we've kind of uh, downgraded, I guess, to, to simply eating together. But that's not what this word means at its very core, uh, it's a good thing that we do, right? Uh, I, I've missed uh, getting to talk with e- every one of you. you know, During uh, our meals, it's a really easy time for us to, to kind of get together, hang out, talk, catch up on each other's lives and stuff. And that's, that's good and that's necessary. But that's not what this word means. Uh, this word is much deeper than that. You probably are familiar with this word fellowship. If you were to read it in Greek, you might, you might recognize it. It's koinonia. Koinonia. And so that's what we're talking about today, as we as we try to dive into this idea of what they devoted themselves, and what does it mean to to devote yourself to fellowship? Is that that doesn't just mean that they have public meals every Sunday, right? And so it's much deeper than that. What is fellowship? It's used here in Acts chapter two, verse forty-two. When you see fellowship, that's the word coenonym. But what what exactly is that word, Interestingly enough, Luke defines that term for us, right? He seems to be kind of impressed with the early church and what's going on here in Acts chapter 2. And you can kind of tell that because he does define this term for us. Because maybe some of his readers uh, in, uh, throughout the world um, who weren't experiencing the re- revitalization that was going on in and around Jerusalem, maybe they didn't know exactly what this fellowship looked like. Maybe he was thinking of us, readers in the future, who weren't going to be familiar with his language and so would struggle with what this fellowship meant. And so he defines this term for us. It's what Jason read for us today. It's, it's found in Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 45, and, and it's as good a definition as, uh, as any for this word fellowship. Uh, and all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. That's kind of an important word when we're talking about koinonia. And they were selling the possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And so, like I said, Luke seems to be kind of in awe of what's going on in the early church. People are not acting like they, were, like they would have before they came to Christ. Now they've got a different agenda. They're, they're concerned about different things, and they're willing to prioritize those things over their own comfort and their own safety. So, what exactly does this word koinonia mean? Let me, let me give you an example. Uh, koinonia in, in the New Testament world and in the Greek world was used for married couples. So, if, if I walked into your house and I said, whose table is that? And I said, well, well that's our table, right? You wouldn't say, well, that's Kelly's table. Well, that's our table. And I said, okay. What about, what about the plates? Whose plates are those? What would you say? Those are our plates. You know, you wouldn't attribute those to one or the other uh, of the spouses. Those are, those are our plates. Those things belong to, to us. They're, they're our family's plates. That's koinonia. It's this idea of, of a common sharing. They, they belong to this, this small community. Koinonia. It's It's sharing. And so when the first century church looked at their stuff, they saw some excess, and their knee-jerk reaction was to share it, was to make sure that everyone had enough. Uh, so it's, it's not so much um, this, this idea of, of uh, this communistic view, it's not that, it's, it's more like I share my extras. And so let me illustrate. Um, Hannah likes to, and all, all four three of my kids right now, Will, I'm sure Ethan will too, and I'm sure yours do too, when you drink a, a, a water bottle, what do they do? I want a sip. Can I have a sip? And you're saying, well, fine, but there's going to be broccoli down in the bottom of it, right? And so, <laughs> and backwash and stuff. And so, but what if, what if, instead of, instead of that view, the way the early church looked at Koinonia was, well, I have two water bottles. I'm going to take one and you take one too. We, we share it's a sharing idea. And so well, what, were, what were they sharing? What's going on uh, in the first century church that made this such a powerful concept? Well, look here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. There's, there's a story behind the passage that you need to understand. Sharing this koinonia idea that's so important to the church, that's, that's one of these rhythms Of the church, one of these habits that we need to put inside uh, of our own lives. It's not just a sharing, um, like Second Corinthians eight talks about it. It's also a sharing of emotions. It's a sharing of life. It's it's a being together. These folks were together every day. Uh, They had these large gatherings in the temple that would hold at least the three thousand people that were baptized on the day of Pentecost, and probably much more. Uh, large open spaces in the temple. And so they met in those places, but they also met in people's houses. And so if you met in someone's house every day, like if I had you over to my house every day, how close are we going to become? Very close, right? We're going to start sharing these intimate details. We're going to start relying on each other. We're going to start leaning on each other and helping each other and hurting for each other, right? That's what's going on in the early church. And it's this idea of koinonia, the sharing. They shared their, their lives, Right? Their, their emotional um, welfare was caught up in each other. They, they hurt with each other. They, they, they were happy with each other. They were, they were linked. Just like you and your spouse are linked. The early church was linked, like that. they, they, they shared. Not, not just their stuff, right? We're we'll going to talk about that in just a second. But, but also their lives, which sometimes is so much more difficult than just sharing your stuff. How easy is it to give someone money? And how hard is it to stay in their life? Right? America is a, especially 21st century America, is a very individualistic culture. Uh, I have my space and you have your space. But in the early church, it was different. Sharing was a part of that culture that, that Jesus created. Right? We have to get back to... A, a modicum of that we have to come back to that ideal uh, it, it, it's vitally important and I think you see that here in Acts chapter 2 with this, this idea of koinonia, it's a sharing of, of, of life not just stuff but life which is sometimes sometimes pretty difficult isn't it, these things are not things that, that I've conquered I'm simply reading the text for you some of these things are struggles for me as well this is, this is one of those things Getting over our American ideals of, well, this is, this is the way we do life. You know, I, I come to play with the kids, and, and then go to sleep. You know, that's kind of what we do. We're going to have to start carving out space, more space, for one another. Uh, if we're going to live up to this biblical idea of quininea, of sharing life together. These people are doing it every day. And so when they needed someone to, to lean on, when they were hurting, or when they were happy... When they were struggling, who did they go to? They went to members of the church, their their closest friends. The people that they were bonded with, that they were linked to. So that's part of what this word means, is koinonia. It's a sharing of life. But here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, you find an even deeper uh, facet to this word, koinonia. So something's happening. ...in Jerusalem that you need to be aware of before we get too much farther into 2 Corinthians 8. There is a famine and thus a, uh, an incredible shortage of food in and around Jerusalem. And so the food that is there has skyrocketed in price. You're kind of familiar with that, right? A couple of months ago, anybody tried to buy beef? Yep. Left a little bit lighter in your wallet, didn't you? The, the price has kind of skyrocketed a little bit. And, and so that kind of thing, I'm sure, is happening in Jerusalem, too... And so when you don't have food, the prices go up. It's true in Jerusalem just like it is today. And so Paul looks at the Jerusalem church and he sees them struggling, and so he sends out word to all the congregations that he's been a part of, all the congregations that he's founded, that he's touched, that he's aware of. He says, hey, the Jerusalem congregations are, are undergoing this incredible hardship. Um, would you think about hoping to support them financially. And so the congregation send back, and I'll give so much, and we'll give so much. And you come by, and as you come by on your way to Jerusalem, we'll have the offering ready. We'll give it to you. You swing back by Jerusalem, give it to them, and everything will be okay. Now, what he doesn't expect is the congregations in Macedonia to give. And you'll see that here in this passage. Um, the congregations in Macedonia, we know of three of them. There were probably more, but we know of only three. Uh, It's Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. You can read about those congregations and how they were set up, and even meet some of their members uh, in the pages of Acts. I think starting in verse chapter 16 or so, you start meeting uh, these Macedonian Christians. They were incredibly poor. Um, This is not a a wealthy church, this is a poverty stricken church. And even on top of that, they had undergone some of the most severe persecution uh, in the early church to date. By the time Paul was writing 2 Corinthians, the Macedonians had bled more for Christ than just about any other Christians in the world. Uh, and so, this congregation, Paul expected maybe to give, but not a lot, because they don't have a lot to give. But listen to what he says here in 2 Corinthians 8, 1-4. He's talking to the Corinthian congregation, and in some, some uh, aspects, I suppose he's doing this to motivate them, you know, uh, or maybe even to shame them. Uh, shame the Corinthians by the, by the Macedonians. Incredible generosity. But here's what he says. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed. He says these two things, their, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, these things combined. Like, a, like you put these two things in a test tube and something different came out of them. You know, here's what... Uh, they have overflowed in a wealth of generosity, on their part. So he says, you you put their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty in a test tube, and extreme generosity is is what came out of that situation. Verse three says, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. Paul says, we didn't even ask these of these of these congregations. Paul's going around the early early um, the early world the early Greek world and asking for contributions I'm I'm not sure he even asked the Macedonian churches for this because maybe he understood the extreme poverty that they were under and he didn't want to put an undue burden on them but listen to what he says in verse 4 begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints he says they came to us and they wouldn't take no for an answer they pleaded with us to allow them to partake in koinonia this, this idea, my translation of the ESV says, taking part. Maybe yours says fellowship. That, that word is koinonia. They were begging to be allowed to share. They couldn't share their lives because they were separated by geography, right? Hundreds, if not thousands of miles, separated the Macedonian Christians from the Jerusalem saints. And so they they'd most likely never met anyone from the Jerusalem congregations. But because of the sharing, this bond that they had inside of Christ, they wanted to give. Now, Paul seems amazed by that because they didn't have a whole lot to give. But when their extreme poverty and their abundance of joy got together, this generosity, this extreme generosity is the result. And so what are they... Where's their abundance of joy come from. Why did they do this thing? It's, it's really incredible. Right? Why did they share when they didn't have, we might say two nickels drubbed together. Why did they give one of the nickels to the to the Jerusalem churches? Well, first things first, right? They know how extreme poverty feels. They're poor themselves. And so they get it. And so when Paul starts talking about a congregation of of God's people who can't eat because they don't have enough money for food, the Philippians and the Thessalonians and the Bereans look at each other and they say, well, we know how that feels, don't we? That hurts. And so we want to alleviate that suffering. And so that's that's one of the reasons, I'm sure, why this is happening. The second reason is at the very foundation of our faith is this incredible generosity where Christ left heaven so that he could be with us This thing that doesn't make any sense. This incredible, generous act by God who didn't have to do this happened at Jesus' birth. And then, living for 30 plus years as one of us with all the frailties and the temptations and all the stuff that we get ourselves into, he struggled with all those things too even though he was sinless. And then ultimately be mocked, and spit on, ridiculed, and ultimately killed by his own creation. Incredible generosity, right? At the very base of our faith stands this story of incredible generosity. And so when the Philippians heard about someone who was suffering, what did they do? Well, when God heard about us suffering he moved to alleviate it at his own expense. So when the Philippians heard about someone's suffering, they moved to alleviate it at their own expense. That's what we as Christians do. We, we share, right? We koinonia, we fellowship. You see, it, this word is much, much broader than fried chicken, isn't it? It's a sharing. But, but not just of, of our money, but also of our time. Sometimes it's hard to love, isn't it? Sometimes it's hard to, to love without restriction. You ever felt that? Maybe somebody hurt you because they're human and that's kind of what we do. We hurt each other. Maybe somebody hurt you in and, and this relationship and it, it's hard to trust. It's hard to give. It's hard to love. At The very foundation of the Christian faith is this story of incredible generosity that even though we had hurt him time and time and time again, he still gave of himself. It's impossible to be a Christian and not share this attribute, this koinonia, not just of your money, but also of your life. The part that is so, maybe much more difficult than just our money. Sometimes we focus a lot on our money, but I want you to focus maybe more so today on sharing your life, your emotional life, your, 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 your thoughts, your love, your panic, your fear, your whatever, with each other. We can bond together, so we can link together. And then we can share everything, have everything in common. It's kind of a phenomenal... Habit, right? It's an incredible rhythm of the church. It's one of the things that made these these first century Christians successful. It's one of the things that made them pleasing to God. And so maybe you're struggling today, and and you just want to be pleasing to Him. If you've not been baptized into Christ, your life isn't pleasing to Him yet. You're still holding that sin, all those offenses. He's still holding those against you. But the good news that we find inside of Christ is that doesn't have to be the case. And it doesn't take a huge uh, thing on your part. It it takes obedience. To be baptized, to be immersed into water that is representative of his blood, right? That washes away all of our sins. Maybe you've already made that decision this morning. You just need the prayers of this congregation to be who God would have you to be. To fellowship, to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, to seeing the gospel lived out in every aspect of your life, in your time, as well as in your money. If you have any need this morning, won't you come as we stand and sing?
0: sound. We'll sing the first and last verse, and then Brother Alan Payne will do some prayer.
4: wonderful and gracious and all kind father in heaven we love you so much father and we thank you for the opportunity we've had to be together this morning to to fellowship together and sing songs and praises to your high and holy name father we we're so grateful for your son jesus who died for us we pray that you'll help us to remember this day by day and not not to grow faint in our love toward you, toward you and toward him Father, we pray you'd help this congregation as a whole to continue to grow in our love, love for you and our love for one another. And may we always be a sweet aroma to the world that, that will help spread the knowledge of Jesus. Father, we thank you so much for the things you've blessed us with. We ask you to be with those of our number who are ill, and we pray you, you would take care of them and, and comfort them and be with the doctors and the medicine. Father, again, be with us as we part here this day and watch over us. Christ, and we pray. And amen.